Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving for everyone out there who celebrates. If you are a fan of From Within Records, Hardcore Pride Weekend, which is something I'm so stoked about because last year I had traveled to Philadelphia. I was able to go to the church for the first time and it was amazing. And I would have always hoped that this would happen again. And sure enough, here we are, Hardcore Pride Weekend from Within Records and Plead Your Case. And I'm so happy to see Plead Your Case on a flyer for something. I love that record label. That record label was awesome. I love Lennon. So I'm stoked to see Plead Your Case on this flyer for anyone who is interested, which I know a lot of you are. I hope all of you have picked up your tickets because if you're listening to this, the lineup has already came out. The tickets are available. So please do yourself a favor. Save the date, March 24th and 25th of 2023, Hardcore Pride Weekend. It's going to be amazing. I hope to see all of you there. I will be back. I hope to be doing something special for the fest. I know Feet First will be there, and I cannot express how much I love Feet First. I love Jeff. I am so floored by his constant support. So just know if Jamie and Jeff are in the same room, we're going to be collabing. We're going to do something cool. I can't speak too much on it, but just know that Feet First, Jamie K going to be doing stuff that weekend. So please look out for that. I hope to see all of you there. It's going to be an amazing weekend. Shout out to Carter for doing it again. I'm stoked. And shout out to Bob Wilson. If you're not following From Within Records on social media, please go boot up your Twitter, your Instagram, click that follow button and stay up to date on all the current news. Reaching out. New EP drops this week on November 28th. For a lot of people, that day might be important because that's the new WoW expansion for all my people out there who play WoW. I have gotten back into it. Shout out to Joe. Shout out to Ash. Shout out to Russian, shout out to all the homies in the guild. I appreciate all of your help, but reaching out what was left, go stream it this week. It's going to be amazing. I love that band. I love seeing the new wave of hardcore killing it, doing amazing stuff. Also burning strong. We got a new burning strong record coming very soon, coming out December 2nd. So that is about four days after reaching out. So take time to bond with reaching out four days later, strap in is burning strongs here until the end will be out. And it's amazing. I love that band. I support them and I'm so happy to finally hear this record because I talked to a couple of the members a while ago and they told me about how much they're or how stoked they are on this new music and how they've leveled up and just writing. And if I'm going to be honest, when I've listened to these two new singles, I can definitely tell. And I'm so stoked for all of you to finally hear this record. I'm so stoked for burning strong. They continue to do great stuff. Shout out Pensacola, shout out from within records. It's going to be an awesome day, December 2nd, 2022. And for anyone who's not familiar with my good buddy, Dylan, from New Jersey, 
I have to take a moment to shout out Dylan. I'm a huge fan of Dylan. He's a great friend, really nice dude. And I always want to support my friends doing cool stuff in hardcore. So please, for anyone who's not familiar at this point, Takedown Records, you can go follow them on Instagram at Takedown Rex. And you can send your demos, takedownrex at gmail.com. They're having their first release. It will be out December 9th. And it's going to be my friends in Fool's Game. It's going to be a new EP, music video, the whole package. So please go support Dylan and the new label out of Jersey. It's awesome. Shout out Dylan. And like I always say, please support From Within Records because they support me. I love Carter. I love the label. It's always an honor for me to be able to shout them out, to be sponsored by them, to just be affiliated. I love From Within Records. I love Carter. And I'm so stoked for all this constant cool shit from them. And if you're looking for high quality merch for your band, for your business, please go follow my friends at Good Fortune Printing on Instagram. You can get in contact with them to do business. You can email them, contact at goodfortuneprinting.com. Shout out Good Fortune. Shout out Nate. Shout out Dark Medicine. I just love books very so much. But please, if you're looking for anyone to do your merch, I'm telling you, you can thank me later. You can go hit up Good Fortune. They'll do amazing stuff. Good business. Good stuff. It's, it's amazing. I, I can't wait to show you what they're going to be printing for me for January. It's going to be sick. But okay, before we get into today's guest, I survived the Blackpink concert. The Blinks didn't kill me. I infiltrated as a fellow once, but it was fun. I went, shout out to Nalu, flew back. He, he, Nalu and I went to Itzy. He flew home for two weeks, came back for Blackpink. That dude is insane. And he's, he's trying to graduate college, but he's putting it on hold for K-pop. Dude's insane. But shout out Nalu. Solid homie. I'm stoked that he came out. But we went to the Blackpink concert. A little interesting. I had seats in the Founders Club. Did not know how to get to the Founders Club. I asked about four or five different employees once I got inside the building. Nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. I was showing them my digital ticket. Finally, I found someone. They were just like, yo, you're on the opposite side of the stadium. Literally just walk around. You'll find this hallway. You'll see a gold elevator, take it up, and then you'll be in your section. So I'm like, all right, cool. Went there. It was awesome. I have, it's not not that I didn't respect Blackpink, but being able to see them perform again, I, I just made me way more respectful. Rose, super solid with her vocals live. I could not believe how talented she actually is it's insane like I, I know she's talented but just being able to hear it live was mind-blowing i got to hear love sick girls out might have been the highlight of the entire show for me la lisa did both of her singles which was amazing for anyone who is not familiar do yourself a favor go listen to la lisa and money by lisa it's amazing um it was fun and that was my last k-pop event of the year because we're rolling into december there's no, really nothing in the books the only thing that's coming up is we're going to stray kids in march the encore so stray kids came back i don't remember when they came through but i missed them on the initial tour but then i caught them at kcon which was amazing maniac they opened with maniac insane crazy set i'm stoked to see them again but anyways 
Blackpink was awesome. I saw zero hardcore kids, which I was very surprised outside of myself. I didn't see any hardcore merch, which is wild because twice I ran into the Fresno hardcore kids, brave girls. I saw who is now my friend Mickey wearing a magnitude t-shirt KCON. I saw tons of Gulch merch, which was insane. Um, yeah, so every time I go to, to K-pop, there, there are hardcore kids there, but this time I was very surprised I didn't see a single piece of merch because normally I'll see, at least see something. But catch Blackpink next time. Oh, okay, I, I can't say, but catch back Blackpink. They'll be back sooner than you think. They're awesome. But into today's guest, I had on Dustin, who helps run Black Path, does a lot for the Las Vegas hardcore scene, was the singer for Suffer the Loss. I did that podcast and I had asked him about some local bands. And the one band that he mentioned was a band called Misericordium, which I love. Misericordium is awesome. I like made that the highlight. If you go back, watch the TikTok. That's the segment of the conversation that I chose because I was so stoked that Dustin after all these years is still putting respect on Misericordium. So for me, I was stoked because I had no idea that he was even going to say that. And the fact that he did, I just wanted to put it out there for anyone who may not be familiar with Misericordium, but for their style, they influenced a lot of people and they did a lot of things right. And I think their music still holds up to this day. You can go listen to it and it's fucking awesome. So some of it's on YouTube. Actually, I think all of it's on YouTube. I don't think any of it's on streaming. Um, maybe we can change that. Maybe I can reach out to Nick, who's our guest today, Nick Pitaro, the singer of Misericordium. Maybe we can get him or get someone to maybe put that stuff on streaming because that would be awesome. But put out that Dustin podcast and lo and behold, Nick reaches out. And I was I was blown away because as far as I knew, nobody really knew what Nick was up to, where he's at. But he reached out, really nice guy. I was so stoked to to finally be able to talk to him because you got to realize going to shows in the early 2000s, all the countless trips that I made to Vegas, even the times that I saw Misericordium in California, I never talked to Nick. I was just some young kid, didn't think I was cool enough, uh, didn't think I deserved anyone's time. So I just never talked to him. And, and even even though we had mutual friends, like my friends from Vegas were actually friends with him, just never spoke. But I always just knew him as the singer of Misericordium, this badass dude, did Muay Thai, just was super cool. So for years later for him to reach out and for us to sit down and do this, it was so cool to me. And I hope for anyone who's listened to this who has never heard of Misericordium or for all the people that know about Misericordium, I hope this conversation is fun for you to listen to because it was awesome for me to be able to sit down and talk to Nick and hear his story and to find out that he's doing good these days. I'm so happy to hear that he has a steady career, family, doing well, doing new music. Hopefully that collating album comes out soon because it's finished, as you'll hear in the conversation, his new project. And I'm just happy that he's still into doing music. I'm happy that we're getting new music from him because I was such a fan 
back then, young Jamie, early 2000s, a teenager. But here I am, end of 2022, still a fan. And it's nice to be able to have that line of communication with Nick. So, Nick, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate you being a friend. And I hope collating comes out soon so we can all listen to the new album and then eventually a live show that would be amazing but please for anyone who's not familiar do yourself a favor hit pause you know the drill hit pause go to your youtube right because we have to go to youtube at this point or for or for anyone um actually uh, you can go to youtube if you don't have the physicals or you can go to Bandcamp. There's one record on Bandcamp, which is their latest one. Um, so you can go to Bandcamp and listen to their music and then come back here and listen to Nick and I talk about awesome stuff. So I thank you, Nick. I thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I seriously always appreciate your time and your support. But please strap in, enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, welcome Nick Vitaro to the show. podcast nick how's it going thanks for having me it's going pretty good how about yourself i'm doing great this is uh crazy because uh you know if somebody told me a month ago hey you're going to be sitting down with uh, nick pitaro to do a podcast i would not believe it but i'm happy that uh you reached out and i'm happy that that we're doing this because i've always been interested in who you are so thank you well hey well thanks for having me you know what i mean it, probably if you were to ask me you know a couple months ago, if I would be going on the podcast, I, you know, I probably wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is me stepping outside of my comfort zone. I would say I'm a pretty private person. So I'm, I'm really uh, happy to do this. I saw your previous work. I liked it. And so I thought this would be a good medium to come on and, and give being public a shot. All right. Well, I, I definitely appreciate it. And I hope you have a good time today. But for people out there who may not know who you are, uh, you're well known for being the singer of the Las Vegas band Misericordium. And now you're working on a new project or a new band. What would you call it? Um, it's a it's a band. You know what I mean? I mean, when we first started, I guess you would you would say it was like more like a studio project, just a mere collaboration between friends. But where we are now and the progression that we've made, especially in the short amount of time we've made, I think, you know, we do have intentions of bringing it live again. If you were to ask me that question a couple months ago, you know what I mean? Even while we were writing this stuff, mm-hmm. um, I didn't see it being there, you know, but now with the, with where we've progressed to where we're at, the things that we want to do with it. Yeah. I can see it taking some sort of a live form and that band's called collating. Okay. And we'll get there building up to that. Uh, But for me, just being curious about you, um, I know now, um, especially in your bio, it says you split time between Tennessee and Las Vegas. Has that always been the case? No. So 
collating is actually a project with one of my best friends. I've known him for over 20 years. Um, we were in high school together, actually high school art class. And, uh, you know, we, we met and, uh, we, uh, had a discussion on the type of music we like, and that ba basically made us become friends. You know, we went our separate ways as we got older. I'd started a family. Uh, he had moved to Tennessee with his family. And so we kind of lost touch. And then just like everybody else, you know, Instagram kind of, you know, connects people. And, uh, I don't know if, if I think I had added him cause I'd recognized him. I was like, Oh shit, it's Rob. That's the name Rob F uh, Famletta. So, <clears throat> uh, I hit him up. I said, Hey, do you think you maybe, uh, you know, want to write music? Cause you know, it being such a small scene, we've seen everybody play, you know what I mean? And in every form, um, of music that they've done, you know, a lot of the dudes that do hardcore metal here have had other projects as well. So we've been able to see everybody kind of up close and personal. So I knew it was someone I wanted to work with. Um, so he lives in Tennessee. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Actually, right now I'm in a town about from where I live, uh, 45 minutes away, a place called Pahrump, Nevada. I'm actually spending some time with my kids on one of my non-custodial days. So it's nice. So, yeah. Um, he lives there. We just uh, he just came out here to finish some more things with uh, our record that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And so it's been like that since the very inception. I've been here the entire time, went away for a little bit for school, but came back. So I've pretty much been in Nevada most of my life. OK. Hell yeah. And I always think, uh, you know, Las Vegas, especially I, that's really the only time I've ever spent in Nevada is going to Las Vegas. I always find that place really interesting. So yeah. I, I always think it's cool that somehow uh, a, a music scene like uh, the one out there in Las Vegas is able to develop because uh, uh, just from the outside looking in, it's like, OK, I, I like Vegas. I can be there for a, a couple of days, but I don't want to get sucked into all the madness. But when I, I go deeper and obviously w with the friends that I've made and knowing that there's a sick scene down there, um, you know, from way back when and even to this day, I, I think it's really awesome that something like that was able to develop. But for, for you. I'm just curious, how did you get into that type of music and how did you even uh, stumble across the Las Vegas hardcore scene? So, <clears throat> so, when I'm, um, so I'm the youngest of five and uh, one of my older brothers, um, he's about 45 now. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he was in his early 20s and I was just a kid, uh, he's like, hey, I want to come show you this music. So, you know, he showed me Fear Factory. You know, this is right around the time that Demanufacture came out. Uh, he showed me Slayer, of course, uh, but he showed me Deicide. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when Once Upon the Cross came out. So if we're dating this, we're at least talking 1998. Mm -hmm. um, so that got my, my first interest in, in, in heavy music, you know, which um, has always been a part of my life, but it's something that really resonated with me at a young age. It's something that I wanted to emulate. It's something that I wanted to incorporate into my life. And as you can see, you know, pretty much since I was 15 years old, um, I had been playing in various bands with people before, you know, Ms. Recording was formed around when I was like 18, 19. Okay. And how many bands did you participate in before Ms. Recording even got started? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Man, it's so wild to think about, you know, and um, I would say my first band was this band called <clears throat> As This Day Dies. Just your typical, like, I don't know, um, early 2000s hardcore 
like blend of like hardcore, you know, DIY ethics, but like metal tones. And uh, yeah, it was, you could see that we were just trying to figure out, you know, how to play our, play our stuff and, and kind of figure out what we like to do. And um, so then that turned into without prayer, which was like, I think like my first time where I was like taking a stance on something. Right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's necessarily being rebellious, but just like where it was a topic that I thought was uh, important and I wanted to speak on. And, uh, you know, that was organized religion. That was kind of my big thing with without prayer. Then, um, after without prayer, without prayer turned into misericordia when we started getting some new members and there, you know, I've, I've actually honestly really been really inspired by our local scene, like the people who are here. Um, obviously, you know what I mean? I, I have my influences as to why I want to become a singer, but I really drew and I've never really said this, you know, um, I really drew a lot of inspiration from my peers. Um, and so what you'll probably end up hearing on collating is a lot of stuff uh, that's been in my head since like, you know, those early days of, 2002, 2003, 2004. Um, so, you know, Ms. was more of, you know, me being influenced by my peers and also, you know, getting into the political realm of things where um, I had just stopped hyper-focusing just on religion and organized religion and more into more concrete uh, political um, issues that I thought were, you know, relevant um, of the day and time that I was speaking on them. Um, and now we got collating. And if you can remember, what was the situation like with the scene? Because for me, I, I came in uh, and you guys, Ms. Corden, were already uh, established. Winch Mob was already a thing. Um, but, but I'm just curious for, for you being there from so early on, even before my time, I'm just curious what it was like for you guys, if you can remember. What it was like. So, you know. I don't claim, I guess, just by virtue of the time that's passed since I started until now, like I could, could be considered one of the heads, but not really. You know what I mean? I, I don't, you know, there were so many people doing so much stuff in hardcore long before I got there. Mm-hmm. And one thing around the time I showed up that I really, really liked was that. And I think if you were to go to smaller towns, you could probably see this today is where their hardcore scene is an accumulation of other scenes put together, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing to fucking do, right? And so there's no place for these kids to go to. They all seem to like music. And for them, you know, it's a way to escape. And so, you know, when I first got into the scene, it was like, you know, the hardcore kids, rockabilly kids, everyone. Everyone all, it's like the same 30 people, right? Mm-hmm. Same 30 people going to these shows every single weekend, even in through during the week. Um, so yeah, you know, by the time I arrived, you know, it was, it was pretty diverse. Now over time, you know, things started to kind of separate a little bit, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I think the beauty of being able to like come up around the time that I did was that I was exposed to so much music, like kind of under an umbrella and what pretty much like tied it together, I think was like, just like the way people thought. You know, um, people wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be in a place where they felt safe. They wanted to enjoy themselves while they were doing it. And given how small I think our town was, especially our music scene, um, it 
gave people the ability to see hardcore in a sense that it's diverse and that there's a lot of different ways that people can express themselves in the hardcore scene. Um, and so, yeah, very interesting time to come up in music. And I can tell you right now, it definitely influenced me, you know, with how I sang, what I wanted to sing about, my stage presence, those things, those early on years that I started out um, in that the, the verse scene really helped shape who I am today. I always thought it was crazy because if you look at hardcore today versus back then, uh, uh, you know, obviously bands like Misericordium were uh, in the mix playing those mixed bill type shows. But these days, I feel like that type of um, you know music isn't really um, you know thrown into the mix that much anymore. I feel like it's kind of uh, burst out and it's now it's kind of went more towards like the the metal scene, which is uh, really interesting to me because there's so many bands, especially out here in Southern California, that uh, had their start in the hardcore scene and became some of like the biggest metal bands to this day. So it, it is pretty interesting to kind of look around and see where the um, scenes intersect now. Cause I feel like um, with hardcore, more of like the um, pop punk stuff has never really left. And I feel like it's just kind of doing like a full circle and getting stronger these days where uh, that metal crossover uh, used to be like way stronger. Cause obviously there's like the, the thrash bands or whatever, but I'm just talking about as far as like mixing like the, a little bit more metal bands with the hardcore bands sure yeah you know and and you'll notice that that goes in cycles you know um you know to be honest with you like i have kind of like removed myself from you know the everyday um presence of of hardcore and punk rock and all those things you know i i took time to establish a career for myself and i also had a family along the way um so but I can tell you that, you know, a lot of the, for at least from what I see, is like a lot of these um, bands that have gained huge notoriety are are also taking ideas from from areas of music where that were really profound to me. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, I almost get like a, like a earth crisis feel to some of these bands, you know, mm. some of the breakdown, some of the breakdowns that they do you know, the simplistic riffs over, you know, over blast beats. It's, it's definitely cyclical, but, um, you know, one thing I can say about, you know, these kids that are writing music today, not only do they have so many ways to express themselves with just with product, right. With their ability to just like what you're doing now, you know, they have mm -hmm. the ability to record from their house and, and get things out and get feedback, you know? Um, but they're so, talented you know what i mean like it, it you know these kids that are coming out now like they are just that's their that's their first you know their first taste in music you know what i mean i find that to be so wild and so awesome because you know i really do love to hear um new ideas like under the umbrella of hardcore and metal you know and that's one thing i can say about these new kids um they really know their stuff and they've really done their homework and it's really cool to almost hear bands that I grew up to like at least riffs in their vein, you know? Um, but like under the recordings that we have now, you know, it's just, it's just really, really awesome. hundred percent. There's like this newer hardcore band from New Jersey called reaching out and the whole band, there's all young kids that are just, uh, 
in tune like they just get it and it's it's crazy to see because they're so young and when i think back to when i was their age and what i was doing i was just trying to to get to a show to to save money yeah. to um get some merch but these kids they're they're in the thick of it they're, they're starting uh, or they, they have a band and they just understand the scene a lot more and it's definitely really cool and interesting to see and i'm definitely stoked for um, you know like seeing something like that just uh, knowing that there's like this whole new generation of kids that still care and that will uh you know step up to, to do something because it's not easy to do a band i'm sure you know for sure but you know what, what at least what i'm seeing is people are learning that they can be self-sufficient you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you do have conventional bands right um but you also have people that are like, you know, I'm just going to do all this myself. I'm going to, I want to make music I want to hear and I want to have complete control, which there's nothing wrong with that. And then you see these people put out beautiful pieces of work and uh, you know, you don't know if like we're watching the beginnings of like another Justin Broderick, you know, Godflesh. like, you don't like these people, like, especially with how young they're starting. Um, I know that Justin Broderick was in Napalm Death and he was 15. Mm -hmm. He's in his late forties, early fifties now. And, but like, I don't know how young he started, but these kids are starting even younger. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's wild to me. Um, like how, how diverse metal and hardcore can be, how we can still figure out a way to reinvent the wheel. And um, each generation, man, they, they, they do something, which is, it's cool. It's really cool. 100%. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there's a band called Turnstile. Uh, yeah, that's like pretty huge right now. And I, I feel like just watching their rise, it's something uh, super special because as long as I've been into hardcore, I've never seen a band that, um, you know, 100% you know, birthed in our scene, but then just grow to this crazy fame and doing a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's remarkable, you know, it, it kind of do, does away with this idea that if you, you know, come from a certain genre that you're going to be restricted by it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and you have no clue that these people have um, other songs inside of them to give, you know, and when they do, it's remarkable. And yet they can still be, you know, what they, what they are and what they represent, you know, turnstile still turnstile, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just now they're, um, and I got into them very late. I would say only like in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would say when I was younger, I was like really restrictive with my music. Now, you know, I listen to everything. And when I heard them, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this band is, I mean, it's, they're absolutely incredible, incredible musicians. And it's really cool that, you know, they were able to kind of like break over the next barrier and get that exposure mm -hmm. um, and still keep their integrity. Yeah. 100%. And obviously, th there's a lot of uh, young people who are watching them and, uh, you know, being fans, I, I hope uh, they get inspired and realize that they can do it too, right? Because that, that's the one thing where I, I find that a lot of people think that some things are just so far out of reach. But it's like, you know, if you try, um, you know, you might surprise yourself and you could actually get there. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, just going back to, to Ms. Recording, obviously, uh, I like, I'm a fan of the band. Uh, like I mentioned to you um, before, uh, you guys coming out to play India was one of the craziest things ever because we had a scene and, you know, we got bands here and there. But for like that time for you guys to, to come play the castle and have so many crazy bands there, that was just like one crazy thing that a lot of us to this day still like, you know, talk about and remember. Yeah. You know, if I remember that venue specifically, it was it was 
it was wild. That was that was a wild show for sure. Um, I would definitely say that it probably was a memorable one. You know, mm-hmm. um, just because of the energy. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it was, it was as if like you knew that you were going to have to drive to somewhere in the IE, right, or SoCal to like you know go to a show. And so when you guys got one, you guys could show up like it was going to be something. And every time I played out there, wild, so much fun. And again, you know, back then, you know, if you were going to go to a, a metal or hardcore show, not every band on the billing from top to bottom was going to be the same. You know what I mean? And that was another thing, you know, even then being able to see a diversity of bands over the one umbrella of hardcore metal. And for for that band, uh, what was it like kind of being, uh, you know, uh, in that genre? I feel like just kind of being one of the ones like on the forefront of that sound, because uh, even the, if you listen to the production of the you know first record, it, it, it sounds great. Um, I'm talking about the thin line between man and machine. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just curious, uh, what was that like for you guys? And um, how was it like, you know, hitting the road, leaving Las Vegas and actually getting other places and realizing that people were actually, you know, into your music? You know, um, we had such a diverse um, mixture of sounds that we wanted to include. And again, you know, the guys that were around, I mean, look, especially Molotov Solution, Mm -hmm. you know, um, those guys were doing things that were just incredible at the time that they were doing it. And in me, you know, it, it, it rubbed off on me. You know what I mean? I, you know, they were challenging themselves. I wanted to challenge ourselves. Um, you know, a lot of those bands that were coming out 2004, 2005, you know, were blending, you know, metal and hardcore, you know, I'm never going to sit here and say that, you know, that I in any way, you know, formed a genre, but I was definitely happy to be a part of it. You know what I mean? I, I, I love hardcore. When I first started singing, like I would sit there with a guitar amp and a microphone and sing Earth Crisis. That's how I learned how to sing for death metal. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, it, it was, it was cool to be able to want to have that hardcore feel, um, that hardcore fire, but like, wanting to venture out into metal and and say this is also hardcore as well you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that hardcore can you know transcend sounds you know and it doesn't have to be you know what people you know not every hardcore band has to sound like judge right or earth crisis or marauder right that you can take that right because that's what was going on in new york early on like they, they were the first ones i think to really start blending metal and hardcore together and you know i took i took that and then i took bands like probably my biggest influence you know around that time was circle of dead children i don't know if you heard them they're one of the most amazing bands of all time from pittsburgh um super heavy tones he was the first one that like really got me into the into the inhales and the pig squeals so you know we were taking this you know metal and hardcore and then I wanted to contribute like circle of dead children type vocals. So that's kind of how we got our pixels. Plus, you know, you had despised icon, you know, mm-hmm. on the right, right then and there, you know, for us to look at them, but like, holy shit, that, that, and then, you know, beneath the massacre, just 
being the pinnacles um, of what metal and hardcore, uh, I think, I think they were the, like the fullest expression of metal and hardcore back then combined. And so there was a lot of influence uh, from that, you know, uh, our contemporaries. Obviously, we had our stuff that we listened to growing up, but it was just a really cool time to come up and a really cool genre to do it in for sure. And I'm just always curious about your your song titles. I, I feel from like the Ten Days to Catalina to even sure. to, to, to the last record. Um, always uh, interesting and uh, uh, you know uh, entertaining. Uh, you know titles sure. for, for your songs. I, I'm just curious. Uh, you know whose idea was that, and like where did you come up with those names? So, I, so I wrote all the lyrics. It's pretty much up until now that I have you know start collaborating with with Rob for collating. You know, mm. we'll spitball ideas um, back and forth. But up until then, I was writing everything. Right. Um, definitely, the guys were getting together and writing music, and I'd contribute there as well. But as far as lyrics went and themes. Um, obviously there would be discussions, but as far as lyrics and themes went, like I was writing completely all of it. And so sometimes the, like, I know that song titles can be confusing and people, you know, they can be cryptic and people can't really understand what I was talking about. Basically, you know, when I was writing for Misericordium, I was trying to not write about me, mm. you know, um, because early the early iteration of misericordium and then without prayer, those earlier bands were like very self-centered and very about, about me, you know? And so basically what I did was, is to, to kind of be true to myself is that like, I made song titles that like involved like inside jokes or things that I found comical or things that were very personal to me because I felt like, um, I didn't want to sit there and spend three to four minutes talking to my about myself every single song i wanted to talk about issues i was passionate about so that was kind of a way of uh you know me having my cake and eating it too mm -hmm. uh, you know i wanted i kind of wanted to have this thing where if i was going to talk about the things i was talking about i wanted people to also know i'm a human being as well and that i'm approachable um, and that, you know, I do, you know, have, you know, a, com a, a comedic side to me, a, a soft side. I mean, um, and that is actually probably one of uh, the biggest questions that I get is about the song titles. Like, what do they mean? You know, why did you write them that way? Again, you know, I was influenced by um, other bands, um, by the way they wrote as well, not just the music side, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of those, you know, song titles were all also like an ode to maybe I wasn't going to put a riff in a song like them, but I was going to maybe do a song title like them as an ode to them. Cause like, you know, like as the sun sets, um, who is now daughters, which is another amazing band, mm -hmm. but as the sun sets was before daughters and, you know, they would have long kind of weird song titles. Um, the same thing with like, like actual screamo like when it came out like bands like orchid and jerome's dream they had you know crazy long song titles and then their songs were 13 seconds long you know so there was a lot going into it um which i've never explained before but yeah like it was a way for me to be able to make a song personal without me having to talk about myself for three or four minutes because there was again things i wanted to talk about that i thought were more important than you know my personal feelings <laughs> 
for sure and with the band uh you know kind of wrapping it up in 2010 uh what was the reasoning for that because i thought you guys were uh, always on like a upward trajectory and had a good following and i just thought you'd be one of the bands to actually you know uh, keep at it and start you know doing like bigger tours and uh, you know not breaking up you know um it was a lot of different factors, you know what I mean? It, it could have been, you know, our personalities clashing with each other, us wanting to do different things or, you know, us having to prioritize work life. I mean, really, really, if, if you had to ask me what happened to Mr. Cordium, life just happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, other things, you know, took, um, took priority and sometimes, you know, due to no fault of our own, you know what I mean? Some things, just things just happen and, and, and time couldn't have been made. Um, you know, also when you're that age writing music, you know, I sit here and, you know, I'm, I'm telling you that like I drew inspiration from like, you know, like my contemporaries and stuff like that. But it's not like I was ever voicing that to them. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you're still a young kid in music and I don't have, have any clue how how bands interact anymore, you know, but I can tell you that you know, when you got a bunch of teenage kids and, you know, they feel like they're on a stride or they feel like they're in competition or they feel, you know, you I mean, it's 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 you're going to you're definitely going to act your age right so if i would say like if i was an adult back then and we were doing misericordium maybe misericordium would have you know kept going but like there's so many factors like coming of age you know dealing with the political aspects of the scene um dealing with personal reasons but nothing but nothing really tragic you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um i think and i don't want to speak for everybody else but i i really think we we cared about what we were doing that we we didn't want to do it for the sake of doing it. And I think there were there were times where where we were, you know what I mean? Um, but that came later, you know what I mean? That that, that kind of came like after we had played like our, our last of our shows and we were trying to write a new album, you know? Um, and also, I really wasn't confident in my abilities. You know, I kind of go in and out of confidence. You know, I'm like my worst critic, you know, like most most artists are for sure and so i developed a fear of singing and this still comes and goes you know up until this day and i remember uh Ms. Recordium was recording uh an album that never never came out oh, wow. um and it was at tim lembis's house um so whatever recording studio he had there mm-hmm. um guy named kelly a great guy was our engineer fantastic guy i mean the tone sounded awesome it was it was it was a fun time but i didn't like the way that my vocals were coming out because you know it's much easier for me i'm sure again tons of vocalists can attest to this it's much easier for me to sing live than than the singing recording booth for sure Uh you know so much more that goes into it you know it's like a transformative experience it's really hard to kind of capture that like when you're in a recording booth and so you know i'm sitting here recording this album and my voice isn't coming out then i'm stressing it then i'm mad and i'm stressing it and then my voice just goes and i thought i blew my voice out and so i said shit well there goes that you know and so i attribute a lot of my self-doubt and like a lot of my fear um and my thought process that i had lost my ability to sing that really kind of put the final nail in misericordium um but also you know it, it i feel like now looking back on it that misericordium 
did what it was supposed to do. Um, I didn't, I, I, you know, you can tell me, you know, you know, all the things in the world, what people think about misreporting, but I, I would have never heard it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Granted, there were, granted, there were parts of me where I was your typical, you know, teenage young adult lead singer of a band, you know, with confidence. But for the most part, like I didn't recognize what other people recognize. And that's usually, you know, how things work. We don't see the good in us, right? It usually takes somebody else sometimes to kind of point it out for us. So I really thought that it was the end of my career. Um, there were other things that I wanted to identify myself with. And, um, you know, I know the guys got together and I think they, they jammed a bit, you know, but they could never really get anything together. And, um, you know, it just kind of just fizzled out. I can tell you that about six months to a year ago, um, someone was bootlegging our, like our, our, our merch. They were making merch to sell. Oh, wow. And, uh, that actually, you know, at first we were kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? Mm-hmm. Talk to the guy. He told me his mission statement. I was like, okay, that makes sense. I, I see why you would do that. You know, it was never really about money in the first place. Of course, obviously, you know, I got two kids. Money would be great, but it's never really about money in the first place. And um, that bootlegging actually got us all to start talking again. And we were considering about getting in a room and starting to write, you know, some more misericordium. That could probably happen, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I'm a firm believer that people want to do something, they're going to do it. You know, the stars just haven't aligned yet. So that still has been like shelved. But it's just wild to me that, again, you know, six months to a year ago, we actually all got like in a group chat and we're chit chatting with each other and uh, and talking about writing music again. This is all while polating is happening, by the way. So mm-hmm. uh, very interesting times for sure. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, for the first three records, did you have that struggle with your vocals, like having that doubt and um, having some of those issues where it's not coming out the way you want it to? Well, you know, I, you know I'm just my hardest critic. And I would, he- I would, again, I would hear my peers, even to this day, you know what I mean? When I hear these these new kids, you know, and, and they, they're so technically sound, like they have, you know, breathing exercises, right? You know, they got, they got, tools right tools tools in their arsenal to know to, to figure out how to sing and sing efficiently i didn't have any of those things so you know i dealt with a lot of um self-doubt still due to this day and so i would be comparing myself to people and i would almost fear myself out of singing i never you know i never really understood i remember watching promise all makes sense i remember watching an interview with jacob bannon and he was like basically saying he's a one-trick pony my vocals are abrasive. This is what I am. Right. And I, you know, found out that I kind of felt the same way, you know, with my vocals and it was really hard to not be able to do some of the things that my peers could do. Cause I mean, I was surrounded again, locally by Kyle Davis. I mean, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, unbelievable vocals. He's a original vocalist mm-hmm. for Molotov. Mm-hmm. Then you got Nick who is a fucking beast and, I mean, he was, he was later, but I mean, still, you know, and I'm sitting here going, holy shit. And I'm like, you know, I'm empowered by their music, but I'm also sitting here going, man, I don't got what it takes. You know what I mean? I don't got what it takes. And it, it, it took up until right. Recording all those albums with Ms. Recordium. Right. And then linking back up with Rob, 
us having a discussion about a, a vision of music that I had and like, you know, his, his belief in me that I could do it again. And, um, July of 21 is when we started collating and it's up until recently where I'm starting to one be comfortable with singing again mm-hmm. two being being happy with what it set like what I am actually coming to terms with this is me right this is this is my Jacob Bannon speech right this is me saying this is what I am this is what I offer and you know maybe I should learn to to love it, you know what I mean? And kind of see where I can take it again. And so far it's been great, but I can tell you, yeah, during those, there was always a ton of self doubt. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it affected me for, for decades. Yeah. Affected me for decades for sure. And how hard was it to walk away from that record that never came out? Cause I can't imagine putting in all that work and then even the effort to, to even try to, to get it done, but then to have to hang it up and not finish it. Like, what was that like for you? Me personally, you know, the, the guys, the guys wanted me to finish it for sure, but they're, they're, they're great people. You know what I mean? They, they it, it was never like, what the fuck dude, you know, when is this going to happen? Right. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of knew where I, where I was at as well. And, and, and I hate for it to be me centered. You know, I really don't like the fact that, you know, I could have finished it. It's just by that time, it had nothing to do with 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 my boys because you know they were they were great. You know, I mean, they were great to work with. I fucking love all those dudes still to this day. Um, but for some reason, I didn't have passion to continue, and I was in a weird anomic state of like, who am I and where am I and what am I doing and is this something that I want to continue? Is this something that I can continue? You know, do I want it to be a part of my life? Is this how I want to be identified? So it really kind of put the, again, the nail in the coffin for Misericordium. And, and that's, that's really how it came, uh, came to, to end. Okay. And in, in the years past, ha- have you been approached to do like any kind of reunion show? Cause I know for a while, um, uh, Dustin had you know, took a break from booking shows, but I know him and his friends over at Black Bath stepped it up and are doing a lot for the scene. Uh, but I'm curious, like, have you guys ever been approached since you guys decided to call it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I. As I've gotten older, I've kind of. Um, like become like more like withdrawn, you know, like I, I like to stick to myself. I used to be out there in the world, you know what I mean? And especially out in the scene. Um, I can't believe I just fucking lost my train. I thought, what was the question? I was uh, curious about if you guys have been uh, approached to do any kind of show, yeah. a post. Yeah. So I like, so I became withdrawn, mm-hmm. but you know, Phil, I mean, Phil is like, you know, I'll, Phil Cancilla, I'll say he is, I personally feel like I, I can't speak for him, but I personally feel like he's the one that made it as a musician period. Right. Mm-hmm. And musician. I mean, he went on to play for Hank Williams, the third. Okay. And I think Hank Williams has like an acoustic set, you know, a country set and then a metal set. And Phil was playing, I think at least two gigs, two gigs a night with Hank Williams, the third. And, and so he was out there. Right. I was right. I was either in law school or, or raising, you know, my sons. So, it would actually mostly be him with all this information. Hey, you know, this person 
wants to have Mr. Cordium play this place or hey. And um, again, you know, that self-doubt, again, all me, you know, I, it wasn't really something I wanted to broach. Again, I'm sitting here going, you know, it's appreci- It's just crazy, just crazy to me that, um, you know, something I did as a young man, I, it resonated with with people to this day. And so, yes, anytime someone would tell me, you know, hey, let's get you on the show um, or, hey, this person would like to get you on this show. You know, I was always kind of apprehensive about it, but it was appreciated. And uh, yeah, it. It, I wouldn't say it's been consistent, but it pops up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Once every three, to, you know, three to five years, like some like, hey, is Mr. Corey going to get back together? And till now, I've <laughs> set out possibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, from Mr. Cordium to collating, did you work on any music in between, or were you just kind of stepped away from that whole thing in general? No, I, I actually had a. Uh, I actually did have um, a studio project, much like collating, um, still metal, hardcore, um, incorporating a lot of doom elements um, with a, a buddy of mine, uh, LJ, an, another fucking amazing uh, musician. Really a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of talent when it comes to when it comes to music. And at that time, you know, I had a couple personal things I wanted to talk about. I thought it'd be good for me, you know, spiritually. I use that term loosely, um, but I thought it'd be good for me. And that project was actually called <coughs> Starry Decisis, which is a legal term, which basically if a, so I'm a, a lawyer by profession. So Starry Decisis is basically if a judge makes a decision in a case and then there's another case that has the same set of facts going on, an attorney can say, you know, stare decisis. It basically means this, the decision stands. Basically, how they rule in this court is how they should rule, you know, on this case because their facts are similar. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is I heard that like my first day of uh, law school, the, the term stare decisis, like, oh, man, if I were the music in that, would be cool. And what's interesting is like my first year of undergraduate in English class, I found on, on the floor a piece of paper that said misericordium. And at that point in time, when I was an undergrad. I didn't think I was going to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And what I was going to do, I was actually, <clears throat> I was uh, still hoping to make, you know, the band, the thing, you know, the thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's wild that, you know, my education was like kind of the spark of me finding, uh, my kids are being funny. Um, fine. <laughs> yeah. You guys are great. Know that. I love you. Go over there. Thank you. So, um, yeah, my, you know, that I was able to find these legal terms, be, end up becoming an attorney, and then having these bands that, you know, had some signif- some legal significance. And so, Star Decisis was a very personal project. We didn't write much, but but the stuff that we did write, I mean, it was dark and heavy really experimental it was cool because it was the first time where i didn't have to be misericordium mm-hmm. right and that was another fear right that if on this next misericordium album i wasn't going to sound how people expected me what were people going to think right it was always me looking outward and and 
you know, uh, really taking my work to heart. And so with Starry Decisis, uh, it was my first stab at learning how to sing again. And so it was, it was, a it was a fun time. LJ is a, he played the band called Evade the Swarm back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I remember that band. So I found him on MySpace back in the and day. I has like 30 bands that are just him. Like, he's like, Hey man, I want to show you something. He'll send me a band. It's just him. Sounds completely from the last thing he sent me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing. Really, really talented guy. That's wild. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when did the, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, idea or thought come to start collating? Cause you mentioned earlier that uh, the re- recording process started in 2021, but I'm just curious how early on did you have that idea to start that project? So it was pretty much uh, instantaneous. So Rob was a year younger than me in high school. Mm-hmm. So, but he had older brothers just like me, right? So he would come to school and be like, holy shit, man, you gotta listen to this band. Like, blood has been shit, right? I think Howard uh, Jones is like, was the singer for Kill Switch Engage. But his original band was Blood's Been Shed, super fucking heavy band, super down tuned guitars. Um, really like the. They're just punishing, man. If you haven't heard them, definitely check them out. Super punishing band. And so, you know, we would, you know, go back and forth and exchange music. And that's how our friendship started. So years later, after I've become an attorney and started a family and Misericordium's over and started this, like, this is over. Again, I'm in this cycle of who knows where music's going to be or if I even want to do it. We link them on Instagram. And um, I said, fuck it. You know what? I've always liked, you know, your music. I like your style. You know, you're very talented and I'd love to work with you. And boom, like right there, we were working. And so collating happened pretty much... um, instantaneously there wasn't much time from talking about the idea to us starting to map out music and, and what we wanted to do okay and how do you try to decide on that that whole like recording process because obviously you two are in two different places did you mix it up and do like you know parts in vegas parts in tennessee or did you travel and have one spot be the home base for the recording so i always like uh compared to like the postal service how they did their thing back in the day. I think they were in two separate places as well and sent stuff back and forth. Mm-hmm. But Rob's actually taught me to kind of be an engineer as well. So he's actually made me, it, I used to be just the way I thought it was just a dude that showed up, wrote some lyrics and sang. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, because I've wanted to have an eagerness to learn and he's willing to show me, you know, I've been able to start to do more things when it comes to contributing to music. Um, so, as soon as we said collating was gonna was gonna happen, I I did something I've never done before. I invested in it. I invested in music. I went out, went to Guitar Center, bought all the shit I needed mm-hmm. to be start recording. And Rob already had his whole setup because he's been a you know a solo artist um, for for fucking years. So it first started out, you know, we talked to each other every day. So. Um, and multiple times a day um so we're always in contact and so it started out with like you know me not being able to do much like me having to mouth riffs right because i'm not proficient in guitar 
you know, and then he would go and he would go write something and then we'd listen to it and we would talk about it and say, Hey, well, how would you do this, this or this? Right. Then as it's progressed, you know, it's, it's been like me figuring out how to be more of an engineer. So I was able to contribute, you know, not only, you know, lyrics and vocals, but also like some like producing as well and some like formatting and concepts. So, um, my involvement in, has increased more with time uh, due to Rob. Um, he's really been a, been a great help and a great friend. Um, made me a better artist. Um, I feel like now, like I'm actually like a musician, like I actually do something, you know, it's great, you know? And, and so we didn't see each other up until since like the last time that we saw each other, like in like 2005, Oh, wow. Okay. Probably, actually, no, it was probably closer to 2008, but it, it was a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he came, my birthday's on October 21st. So he came out to like spend like 11 days with me and we took that time to work. So that was the first time that we actually recorded together. And oh man, it was, it was amazing because it, not only was it, you know, more efficient, it was just to have the person sit next, you know, next to you and be able to, you know, come up with ideas. It was a lot of fun. So it started out with separate, right? Then we were able to get together. And then now, you know, he does a lot of, you know, he's doing all the, you know, the mixing and mastering, you know, back home in Tennessee. We're still kind of revising stuff, but we do have an album call, uh, coming out with at least within the next couple months. Um, it's called Quantifying Misery. And I think right now, uh, like without some of the audio tracks, uh, it's about 13 songs long. So and it comes in between like 18 and 20 minutes of music. So it's, it's a wide spectrum man in a, in a very short uh, amount of time. Um, I think people will like it. And, um, you know, we are, are already in a position now where quantifying misery, our first release hasn't come out and we're already kind of brainstorming like where we want to go next. And so it's cool to have that, that passion again it's cool to acquire the tools that you need to be able to express yourself artistically it's cool to be able to do it with friends um and so yeah our involvement together as well individually has increased as you know as times have went on and i know uh, with the pandemic and you know times changing uh, did that attribute to the record you know taking over a year to to record you know, um, I was, I guess you could say like the pandemic affected everything, right? So mm-hmm. in some sense, you know, of course, for sure. You know, if, if, you know, especially with the amount of work that we got done in the 11 days that he was visiting me here in Vegas, you know, had we been living together in Ryan's album, it probably would have um, came out a lot sooner. But I think, you know, how we wrote it and the fact that we took breaks and the fact that we took our time to nitpick things and like, and if we weren't in a position to, to write, like we didn't want to write, right. That we didn't have to, right. And we can kind of set it down and come back to it. And I think that is what's led to what this album is. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm glad it took this long. You know what I mean? It, it's how it was supposed to go. Um, I was able to, you know, record when I was comfortable uh, you know, in a good mindset. And, um, 
yeah, it, uh, it, the pandemic, you know, definitely did hinder a few things, but, uh, I think it was our willingness to be patient with this and knowing that this was on our terms and we could do whatever we wanted that why it took about a year for it to come to a, a conclusion. And I'm curious, uh, with you being more involved, especially on like the back end stuff, uh, did that kind of um, open up your, your ears or your eyes to um, hearing or seeing the music in a different way? Cause I know before I started doing this whole thing, uh, you know, I just would listen to music, TV shows, whatever, and be like, Oh, cool. That audio sounds fine to me. But once I started having to get, you know, um, in the nitty gritty and learning about, uh, how to mix and master stuff, I hear things different now than I used to. And it's kind of annoying sometimes because I'll, I'll listen or watch a video and I'm just like, kind of like mind boggled at like how they were okay with like releasing audio and you know, that form. For sure. For sure. You know, I'll say that, um, for me, it's more of like a fulfillment thing. So it's not that I view music differently or hear mu music differently. Mm -hmm. It's that I'm participating with it in a, in, a, in a different way. And so it's nice to be involved in that sense that like, you know, from the tracking, you know, to, to, to the fine tuning, I'm now involved. Um, because, you know, I have, um, I'm really easily, um, overstimulated yet. Another reason why I tend to kind of be withdrawn. Um, so it's probably also why I became a lawyer is because of nuance, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I pick up on these things. So for me, you know, it's weird. Like in my head, it's almost like my head is visualizing the reporting tracks, the separate reporting tracks. So I, I can hear, I can listen to a song and pick it apart, like individual track by individual track. That's how I listen to music because I can listen to it as a whole, or I can, you know, really get into the nuances of what people are doing. And, um, it, that's kind of the way I've, I've, I've always, you know, kind of listened to music, you know, it was really the most influential things of like what has came out of what I've written or written with other people is, is on those nuances, those little parts of those songs that I really wanted to capture, you know, that I thought like, that they meant a lot to me and they, and they made me feel something. So has engineering like helped me see, see music in a different way? No, but it's, it, but it's, it's fulfilled me in a different way, which I think is great. And, and it makes me want to do it more. Um, but how I've, I, how I've listened to music, um, it's, it's, it's pretty much been a, a pretty constant thing my, my entire life. And was it uh, pretty easy for you to pick up? Because, uh, you know, obviously you had someone to, to lean on for resources and for help, but uh, yeah. did you pick it up pretty quick or was it like a struggle? Cause it, it's fun, like uh, learning how to edit and you know put stuff together. But I know um, it can be challenging, especially for someone um, who's coming at it, you know, being new to it. Yeah, you know. So I remember I had recorded uh, my first song. I had tracked it by myself. You know, cut the cut the the, the tracks. I'd done like the bare minimum, but like that's all I knew how to do. And I felt I felt awesome. And I remember sending it to Rob and him like, you know, hey, but uh guess what? Uh, all your vocal tracks are only coming out one side. You know what I mean? It's because mm. I didn't like configure the audio, like the bus or whatever. I didn't do it properly. And so it was, it was coming out mono instead of stereo. And a lot of motherfuckers, you know what I mean? Like a lot mm. of yelling and screaming and, and being pissed. Um, it was, it was, it was rough at first, especially when there was a day where I'm sitting here fucking, you know, screaming as loud as I can. I've lost my voice and then I have nothing to show for it. Um, but that, luckily, with the time that we had, which was infinite, right, because we didn't have a, a deadline, um, allowed me to really practice again. 
and it was great. You know, it, it was it, it it was all for something for sure, but definitely difficult starting out. Hell yeah, that, that that's that's cool to hear because I, I definitely like that story of you going through those trials, especially on your own and, uh, you know, finding fulfillment through that, because I, I think it's really awesome for you to, uh, you know, years later, uh, you know, be more involved with the music that you're creating, but also find it, you know, still uh, that much more enjoyable. Yeah, the intention was always there. You know, what I mean, what I'm doing now is what I've always wanted to do with music. I've mm -hmm. always wanted to be involved. It was just I never gave myself the chance i never thought that you can't do this shit you know what i mean leave it to the professionals you're just up here for shock value and to say some crazy shit and um yeah lend your voice but now i feel like now i feel like a musician it's 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 a great feeling for sure okay and so the record will be out soon do you guys have a deadline in mind that you've given yourself obviously not said it publicly but do you have like a time frame or is rob just kind of working at it when he can um you know, Rob's a hard worker. If he's not working, you know, in in uh, in the medical field, I think he's doing like medical billing right now or um, approving claims. He uh, he's working on the album, so it's 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 we've definitely taken our breaks when we felt like we needed to, but he's really really proactive. So every second that he's not working, we're either discussing the album or he is he is uh, working on fine tuning it and. Um, we do have a date in mind mm -hmm. uh, like varies between like a two month, two month period, but we definitely, the plan is to get it out sooner than later for sure. Okay. Well, I'll definitely, uh, you know, keep my eyes peeled and I'm obviously and anticipate that. Cause obviously I, I follow you on social media and I am very interested because obviously the, the snippets that I've seen and the, the way that you speak about it and uh, hearing the um, excitement from your voice, it has me really interested in hearing the whole project. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, uh, I'm really excited. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's not a, it's not a feeling that I have really, uh, felt in a long time when it came to music I was involved with for sure. And you, you did mention that, uh, there's an idea of, uh, you know, playing it live. Uh, obviously you're going to have to recruit people. Do you have people in mind? Have you even, um, you know, talked to them about that or is that going to come after the record comes out? You know, I'm, I'm 10 years in the future, so I've, you know, I've, I've already thought about all the people that I would I would want involved with collating. Mm -hmm. For reason, at least right now, it tends to really go back to how can we pull this off? It just being me and Rob, and how can we do that knowing that we don't have three to four other individuals live with us, right? And having that present sound, and how we can make a two man operation sound like a like a full band, you know what I mean? Or whatever, uh, whatever way we want it to sound live when we perform, we do have one thing that we agree on. We want to be loud, like loud, like loud band. Like, like if you're listening to fucking Mogwai, these people have like, I don't know how many fucking speakers when they play live, just insane. Mm -hmm. right? Just insane. But you know, obviously our operations going to be much smaller, but when we play, we want it to be, like like an experience you know what i mean like we want it to be present we want it to be loud it being only us um but have we thought about including other people yeah i don't know if necessarily like in the writing process but definitely you know like live i mean there's so many people i would i would love to work with and i think they're amazingly talented in what they do and they would only enhance like the collating experience 
you know, I saw this band uh, called Rings of Saturn. I, I went and saw them because uh, I, I went to go see Whitechapel at the Glasshouse. They're doing like an anniversary show and uh, Rings of Saturn were on the bill. And I, I didn't know anything about them. They had like the craziest merch I've ever seen. Uh, just like a ton of colors, weird Dragon Ball Z designs, which I thought was cool, but it's crazy. Um, but when they hit the stage, they didn't have a drummer. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. I'm like, how is this going to go over? Like, I like if, if a hardcore band stepped up on stage and didn't have a drummer, that'd be like super weird. I, I don't think people would be into it, but they went up and without missing a beat, the you know music sounded awesome. The crowd was still into it. I, I don't think it affected the crowd at all. So I'm just like, oh, wow. So it is possible to, to go up there and, um, you know, obviously uh, be with, uh, with less members, have some stuff programmed and it still be, uh, you know, an enjoyable experience. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and the stuff that I've heard from Rings of Saturn is they're insane, too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sonic and visually, for sure. Okay. Well, uh, and outs as far as like, you know, um, outside of the music for collating, do you um, you know have any ideas to do merge? Because I, I know you, you mentioned or I read on social media that you guys wanted to you know get that stuff, uh, your music pressed and uh, you know do more. But yeah. do you already have those ideas in mind? Yeah. You know, what I mean, if we're not working on the music, we're thinking about the merch. Um, we actually had a, a couple of discussions where it seems like um, and maybe you can attest to this, you know, with the the bands uh, that you, you know, that you interview. Um, it seems like mer merchandise has, ta has taken a front seat to a lot of it, you know? Um, and, you know, for some, for good reason, you know what I mean? Some of this merchandise is fucking insane. You know, it's like visually it looks insane. Like it seems like everyone has amazing album art, you know, the, the colorways are fucking crazy. Um, and, and that's one thing I've always loved too, is like when you have like a band and they sound a certain way and then they pick like a colorway or a cover art where like, I was not expecting you know this to be on this album. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, really cool stuff. Um, but we did talk about how like, you know, it's taking the front, uh, I th we think, think it's taking the front seat, uh, to the music. Um, and you know, we do have ideas for where we want to go with our merchandise, but it's, 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 it's not as important, I think as important as the, uh, um, the music that we're writing for sure, but it is important. You know what I mean? When we have been brainstorming ideas, you know, we don't know if we want to kind of pull back or, or kind of go out there. Um, but the art that's out there now is super cool. It's really cool. And the way that you guys, um, you know, spell collating, um, uh, What's the reason behind that? Because it's obviously very interesting. It's not the traditional way. Uh, me being a fucking nerd, you know, like just, you know, um, um, you know, collating, right? You know, it's it's definitely a a music project, but like it's also, you know, a way I, that I've been kind of like identifying myself now. You know what I mean? So it's like anything any little thing i can do to express something right uh, uh you know i think collating is like the, the platform for me to do it and so that starts from the ground up you know what i mean mm -hmm. from like right visually you got merch in there you got the music um it's i have a hard time focusing right uh, but when i do i hyper focus and so for me i am this is probably the first time on a music project where I'm like hyper-focusing on detail and everything, you know, matters and there's thought that goes into it. 
And I guess that comes with like anything that you, you find to be important, you know? Um, but yeah, that's why there's little things like that. You know, it's, it's me always trying to find a way to either do something d- different or give a homage to a band, you know, I grew up listening to, um, but definitely, yeah, interactive. So. Okay. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the future of collating, but I, I wanted to switch gears, uh, sure. uh, just knowing people who are friends with you and hearing about you, um, it was always, uh, you know, uh, you know, known to me that you were into, um, you know, like martial arts and mixed martial arts and even looking at the shirt that you're wearing today, uh, you know, it's, it's a really cool shirt. I, I really respect, um, you know, Rafael Lobato Jr. I, I, when he fought Gegard Mousasi, I thought, holy shit, he made that look easy, which is crazy. Um, but I, I'm just curious for you, uh, how did you even get into that? Because if you think about it today, like, you know, MMA or any kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu, uh, karate, so many, you know, uh, different martial arts are just, uh, it's so common, uh, especially in our music scene. Yeah. I, I'm just curious, you know, for you, for someone who's been into it for so long, uh, how'd you even get into it? Well, I, th- I think it, you know, it all stemmed from like a, a position of weakness. Right. And so, you know, when I, I had, I had been in martial arts, like Taekwondo, like since I was like, I think the first place I went to, I was like three years old. So just some little knucklehead in a, in a costume, you know, just running around, um, really started getting into it like at five. And then I did that, you know, from like anywhere from five to like 15 years old. And I'm sure you can wonder why I wanted to stop at 15, right? Cause I wanted to skateboard and have girlfriends and, 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 and write music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's been a, a constant in my life because um, I started off as weak. You know, what I mean, I, I'm I'm five four now. You know, I'm 37 years old, five four. Granted, you know, I'm I'm not 90 pounds anymore, but I've always kind of had this stature. And um, so I used it as a way to confidence build, keep myself healthy, healthy, and um, and kind of like, you know keep my head straight. And, um, it's really something that has, uh, you know, benefited my life. I mean, I've had some of the toughest times in my life in the martial arts world, you know, but, um, it's, it's extremely, extremely rewarding, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, you, you got, you know, fucking Khalil Roundtree, right? Same scene, you know, Mm -hmm. same scene. Um, love that guy. And uh, you can see from his story, you know what I mean? Just what it does for people. And, um, but where it started from was me in a position of weakness. Um, and not that it's okay for, for people to be weak. There definitely are, they are times, right? I don't care what fuck anyone says. There are times where you can be weak. Um, but it was something that I wanted to do to make sure that, you know, I wasn't a burden on anybody else. I could take care of myself that I could instill some things that maybe I thought I was deficit in. And from there, you know, it's kind of just been a, you know, a, a part of my life that I've kind of like entered into and left, you know, I don't, I definitely have my, um, my spurts, but like, I, I don't sit here and say that I, I train every day. I exercise every day for sure, but training, no, mm-hmm. uh, that's a whole different animal, but it has been a part of my life. Um, and, you know, I'll say that when I started Muay Thai kickboxing around 22 years old, um, it was the thing that got me to step away from music from a bit, 
but also get me to come back and be stronger and and be able to to again express myself at, at, at an optimum level you know because before that i was just some kid unhealthy not taking care of himself screaming in a band and then you know when i came back you know uh from i went to thailand i think in 2008 um that was a great time i trained and, and, and fought out there and then coming back you know having that confidence also right took a little bit of that self-doubt away and was able to get me to get back into the swing of things with misericordium and then we put out uh unanimity and the cessation of hostility that's crazy i had no idea that, that you went overseas to to train yeah i um i think i had um been training for like six to eight months i had lost the weight you know that you know my coach had recommended and i've never like i don't watch sports i don't like being a spectator you mm. know what i mean i don't i don't I don't really like to engage in things that big groups of people do. I mean, minus music, you know, and sometimes it's a little hard for me to go and see live music. You know, like I said, I'm pretty withdrawn. So, um, yeah, I did four smokers. They're called smokers. They're basically amateur fights, right? That like don't go on your record. Um, and then I fought once in Thailand and yeah it was it was a it was a great experience it was and it's definitely again contributed to who i am today for sure yeah i i think it's awesome to been able to go there and train and actually fight out there that that that's awesome yeah i i just you know if i was going to do something i wanted to do it what i thought was right and so i wanted to kind of go you know my first love in martial arts really was muay thai kickboxing so i wanted to go where it was from and i wanted to fight with other people and um i lost but hey man it was it was it was fun it was a fun experience for sure and is it interesting for you because obviously like where you live is like you know like the mecca for mma but to just see martial arts get so popular uh over the years because it's you know obviously growing up there's always been martial arts movies and it's always been a thing but it's never been this mainstream and i, I was just curious for, for someone like you who's been into it for so long before it was cool um like what was it like watching that especially from where you live you know i'd say the only part i dislike and i have to see that too is the business aspect of it right okay. you know what i mean I'm bombarded with it every everywhere you know because I, I i you know i take it seriously i know the people that dedicate their lives to martial arts you know take it seriously this is not it's not a game for them like this is how they identify this is what they are and so Really, I mean, I couldn't be happier, right, to see it more mainstream on the basis that I know what it does for people. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's it's incredible. You can take a completely broken person and and turn them into a functional, capable adult, you know, that is worthy of love and can give the same and contribute. Um, so the fact that it's more easily accessible... Um, is, is is amazing now mm -hmm. granted the thing is is that like i if i involve myself in something you know there is a part of me that you know prescribes to like certain parts of the herd and what they do you know what i mean just as a part of a lifestyle but for the most part i'm always at a distance you know what i mean i go in there i train i take my classes i leave you know very rarely am i going to go watch fights mm -hmm. you know it's always kind of am i happy to see my friends fight yes am i happy to see them win yes 
But for me, it's always just been kind of like a personal thing. And that's a lot of with anything in my life. It's, it's always a personal experience. And so, um, I'm happy for people that they have found something that's made me happy and helped me be, uh, productive. And, um, and, and it is crazy to kind of be in the center of it where I'm from, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know, I'm more bombarded by like the business side of it. And it's not something I really, uh, you know, care to be around. So, but yeah, it's big here and I think it's helping a lot of people. Yeah, it, it is pretty interesting. I remember I used to sit alone in my bedroom in my parents' house watching, uh, you know, fights from Japan or even like WEC type stuff and just kind of surprised that nobody else that I was around was like into it. But then over the mm-hmm. years, it's like, okay, now I can, uh, you know, look up um, anybody on my Instagram list and people know what MMA is. It's not like this foreign thing. There's like household names that people know. Uh, so it, it, it is pretty interesting, but, but also cool. I, I think it's uh, fun that it's as popular as it is, but I, I still uh, think it's interesting. Uh, there's like this new thing that, that I've gotten into. It's uh, I'm pretty sure it's owned and run by boss Rune. it's called a uh, karate combat. And I think their production wow. is, it's insane. Wow. It's something cool. that I have fun watching. Well, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I sold on to the, to the, uh, you know, to the lie that karate doesn't work. And I did it for many years. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. ah, karate doesn't work. Then you got people like, uh, you know, Machida. Mm-hmm. And now you got this, which is clearly showing. And like, uh, Thompson, you know, you're just like, they're unorthodox. No one can figure it the fuck out. Cause they don't fucking train for it. You know what I mean? Their angles are fucking crazy and they're extremely athletic. Um, they are straight up fucking athletes. And no one can seem to figure it out. And that's what I love about, you know, I, I love to see um, people prove people wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People say yes. And then, you you know, now you have a whole league around it. And these people are murking people with their crazy question mark kicks and their axe kicks mm-hmm. and picking up Western boxing in it. It's it's fucking incredible. For sure. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm trying to tell everybody because I, I know my friends who are like super into MMA and like we'll watch other stuff, too. Uh, you know, like ADCC, like we're into like the jujitsu stuff as well. But I'm like, hey, there's this other thing. Um, because I know you guys like, you know, uh, kickboxing and stuff like that, but you guys will also like this. I, it's new, not super popular, but you should definitely check it out. So I, I'm slowly trying to get more and more people into it because I think it's awesome. Have you heard of Lithway? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's the sport, man. I mean, I doubt, uh, any commission's ever going to catch on to the three knockout rule. But it, it's that's definitely a fun sport as well. It's insane. Th- those fighters are brutal. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm a huge fan of martial arts. And yeah, it was always cool to me to to, to know that you were into it, uh, especially way back then, especially when it was like uh, way more underground, because I, I always thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Like I said, came from a position of weakness, sick and tired of getting my ass beat. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I... Uh, I wanted to hold myself accountable and, and, you know, get in shape while doing it. Okay. And last thing I'm, I'm curious about, and I understand if you don't want to speak about it, but, um, you mentioned, uh, you're a lawyer, which I think is crazy. I, I think you're the second lawyer to, to come on the podcast to my knowledge, okay. but I'm just curious, uh, how did you get into that? And have you had a, had a passion for it or, or did you have this like enlightening moment in life where you're like, okay, this is something that I want to do. So, um, yeah, my father's been a practicing attorney um for like uh the last 50 years out here in vegas 
And so, you know, I grew up upper middle class, never won for anything, you know. Um, so I saw, you know, financially what the, you know, what the job could do. Um, but, you know, my parents, you know, grew up very poor. They're from Massachusetts. Um, so my dad's uh, from a place called Stoughton and then Brockton, right outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. And then my mom came from the sticks in this place called Lowell, or Chumsford. So, you know, they grew up very, very, very poor. Um, and so I never had to. And um, partly because of, you know, my father's hard work. So he instilled working class values in us. And so I knew that whatever I did, you know, I wanted to help people. And there was kind of this idea that maybe I'd go to law school and be a lawyer, but I knew that I really wanted to help people. And, you know, one of my last jobs, you know, before I decided to go to law school, I was cleaning carpets, fucking almost dying in this, you know, Vegas heat during the summer. And I said, fuck this. You know, I, can't, I, I, I just can't do it. You know, my hat's off to all, all the people in labor. Um, and so I said, you know what, let's, let's try to get me, you know, into law school. And so I kind of embarked on it. And uh, I graduated in 2017, um, passed the bar in 2019, and I've been practicing uh, ever since. That's wild. And um, as a kid, like academically, like were you uh, like a good student or uh, was it like a, a like a hard path to um, get to where you're at today? Uh, extremely hard. You know, I, I uh, definitely think there's some, you know, minor intellectual disabilities there, you know, <laughs> for sure. Um, a foot and um, definitely working against me. So, uh, no, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I, w- I was harmless, but I wasn't. You know, the greatest. You know, student, a little bit of a class clown, um, inability to pay attention. Still, if you were to um, ask my baby mama right now if I can pay attention, she'd say no. Um, but yeah, so school was not something I, interesting enough, never really took seriously. Um, what motivated me to, I think, be a lawyer was uh, when uh, we had gotten pregnant with our first kid, Grayson. Hi. That's him right there. Hi. Hello. And uh, and then I said, you know what? I'm the second child. And that's the second one. For sure. Hello. Um, uh, I knew I had to do something, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to that i could i could support a family on and i also knew, but i knew it had to be you know worthwhile for me i had i had to be doing something for somebody else um and so that was that was pretty much how how i how i became an attorney you know sick and tired of working in odd jobs you know what i mean uh especially working with labor it was awful and um for a very short period of time and that's what it took me to, to get back into school that's awesome for, for you to have that determination and want to be able to do that and to get it done because i'm you know you went through the process it's not something easy but it is possible yeah i mean look you know just to give you a quick timeline it took me 12 years to get a four-year degree and not because i couldn't have gotten it in the four years i failed out of college twice i had to go back and make up grades to be able to fucking graduate and stay in how to get that degree then I took the LSAT, which is like the entrance, like the entrance exam into law school. Mm-hmm. Took that three fucking times, got into a bottom of the barrel school. You know, then I had to, and I was in California. So I did my first year in California and we wanted to have our second son back in Vegas. So I commuted between Vegas and California to go to school. Um, and then, you know, I had to get through law school, which is three years. And then 
I was working as a clerk uh, while I was studying for the bar. And if you know anything about the bar, it's not the easiest thing in the world, especially in Nevada. And so I failed it three times until I had saved up enough money. And I was like, you know, I, I got to do this. Okay. I went through the school, commuted from one state to the other, all that good stuff. It's I, I better figure out a way to pass this. So studied my ass off for like nine weeks, didn't leave my house and was able to pass the bar finally. And uh, yeah, shortly after that, I um, took my first job as an attorney. And how has it been being an, an attorney after all that hard work and finally being in that profession? Are, are you seeing the fruits of your labor? Is it everything you expected it to be? You know, you go into these things really ide- idealistic and with a zest for life and, and you know, and good intentions. And, um, And, you know, growing up, having a father as an attorney, I never really understand him. Now I understand him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a difficult job. Not easy. You're seeing people on their worst day. It's thankless. Of course, you know, I don't know who would go into being an attorney to be thanked, but it's definitely a thankless job. Um, so am I happy that I have something that, where I can assist other people? Yes. Um, but my very short time in it has kind of, been twofold it's 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 kind of helped me understand my father more and kind of taken my ideals out of the ether and kind of grounded them and brought them down to reality of 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 how people are and it's difficult at times for sure you know i can tell you i don't i have maybe had one job in my short legal career that i've enjoyed that i actually have completed the task of helping people when I felt like I was helping people. Everything else I've done so far, it, it, it seems as if I've done nothing but hurt people, you know? And um, it's, it's, I want people to understand that, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes you have to set certain things aside, you know, to feed your family. And, but it's not like, uh, it's not like we enjoy it, you know? There's definitely, things to this job that are rewarding, but there are other parts that are just horrible and it's compounded on a daily basis, you know? So you gotta, you gotta kind of find a way to, to deal with that. Fucking, I got collating now, you know, it's, it's great, you know, and, 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 and those, you know, those, those feelings um, that I can't really express collating has now given me an avenue to kind of do that again in tandem with the work that I do on a daily basis. 100%. That was one thing that I was going to ask is um, because you're human, I'm human, but to, to separate like your personal feelings and, uh, you know, bad situations at the job when you get home, is is that hard or, you know, or do you carry it with you? So, you know, know, not to get on my soapbox, but like one thing I, I will say is that, you know, the, mass majority's perception of what the judicial system is like, it, it doesn't come close to what they think it is. Um, you know, people kind of attribute their view of uh, what the legal system is like based on like TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. SVU ordering. And, and it's always, someone's always guilty on that show, right? You know, no one's ever, ever innocent. And um, you'll find that Most people are convicted of the crimes that they're charged of. 
usually they're overcharged, but that's just a way for the state to get what they want. Mm-hmm. I know that either. Um, but it, like I said, it requires you to have to see people on a daily basis uh, when they're at their worst day and that the subject matter and the things that you have to dive into and know in order to be competent as an attorney to give your best representation, whether you're working for the state or whether you're, you know, you're advocating on behalf of a client. Um, so yeah, it can, it, it can be hard. You know what I mean? But you find coping, you know, you find coping skills for some people. They have very bad ones, you know, for other people, they do things like engage in martial arts or exercise or, spend time with their kids you know mm-hmm. um but it, it, it can it, it can be hard um to to compartmentalize and shut those things off that you see on a daily basis at work but you have to like you have you have to figure something out because if you don't you know you're not gonna you're not gonna last in this field very long or it's gonna be very very detrimental to your health for sure for sure damn well nick this has been awesome i really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast and I'm um, open up because I, I do understand you're a private person, but I'm happy to have been able to talk about misericordium, hear about collating and even figure out a, a, about your profession. This has been, uh, you know, something that I'm very happy that we're able to do. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to collating in the future. So I, I will, uh, you know, stay up to date and, um, you know, stay tuned for all that. But before we sign off, is there anything else you would like to say? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, again, thank you for for having me on here. Um, you know, I took a risk, you know, and like it, it, it was good for me. I'm, I'm happy I did it. You know? mm-hmm. Getting out of my zone, it's, it's great. Um, and so thank you for giving me a platform to speak and maybe clear up some, you know, ambiguity for, for some people, maybe some answers, and maybe that will lead to more questions. And, you know, you, look, you know, I want people to know that I'm approachable. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I may have a time management issue, but I am definitely approachable and, you know, I'm, I, I would love to, you know, meet new people. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to a band called Life of Leprosy, um, which is Rob's solo project that he had uh, started many years ago. And now he had just released his first album. It's called The Collective. It's on Spotify. Okay. And uh, yeah, another, I mean, another great um, project to listen to. I highly suggest it. Um, we're probably going to at some point in time do a split. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll be back soon. Mm -hmm.